all gene-based vaccines, independent of manufacturers, produce the same result in the vaccinees. He has looked at 15. In the last four days, the number has been increased to 17 individuals who died after vaccination. These were people who died at home, at work, in the car, doing their sports, etc., etc., etc. There's no question now anymore about what is going on. And the answer is, in the organs of these people, in 90%, he found clear evidence for autoimmune self-attack by killer lymphocytes on the tissues. Welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up, a concise show dedicated to bringing you the most relevant independent news as we see it from the last 24 hours. Sunday, May 7th, 2023. Am I crazy or did that sound like it was sped up a little bit? (laughs) And I don't know why that would be. My voice sounded high and that sounded quick. Regardless, welcome to the Daily Wrap-Up. I've got a great show planned for you today. I'm actually really, really excited to go over the stuff we're going to talk about. I've got some really, it's really interesting really fascinating information around, you know, really just, it's important to show how obviously this highlights dishonesty about the mod RNA conversation. But aside from that, it's really just fascinating to see how this is being done. But of course, because we recognize that it's being done in a surreptitious manner and more ways than we can possibly count, I would argue it's important to understand in the full picture what this is all about. But we're going to talk about, as we recently just discussed, both mod RNA in regard to the injections, what that is, how it's being used. And somebody recently asked, or it was, it was a comment that I was tagged in, in regard to why we don't know how that makes sense. How do you take a genetic sequence and turn that into something that is injected into somebody? Now, I'm not, a, I'm not an expert in this topic. I mean, other than being, you know, in, by practice and doing this throughout this entire process, I guarantee I know more than the average person. But... I'm going to go through this as best I can in that one topic and show you what it appears to me based on the evidence and the data and what they're saying. And then combining that with what we also know that is challenging what they're saying. But I find it really interesting to see how this played out because we just talked about the genetic sequence from Moderna. Remember, their name literally comes from the, the term mod RNA, which really ultimately, as we were talking about also in some chats and conversations, it's more appropriate to call it. And this is actually what they're not going to be using. But I think this is likely because people are getting hit to the idea of what all of these injections have been, not natural, not messenger RNA, which is what mRNA stands for, but modified mRNA, which they even say mod RNA in the, in the Pfizer and Moderna documentation, because that's what it is. It's genetically modified. It's, a, it's just a you know, genetically modified vaccine. So when they alter this, it becomes something that is unnatural by definition. And, I, and then, of course, we add this on with the nanotechnology aspect and all of this. But what's interesting is they kept this from people's view, despite this being a core foundational part of what they've done. Again, the name Moderna comes from the concept. 
So it's interesting. They went out of their way to keep this from people's view. Now, also, we find out that this has a lot of interesting overlaps with how it affects your DNA. And now also we see that this is being rushed, steamrolled into just about every other possible injection you can see. And we're going to focus on a new cancer injection today that is specifically for melanoma. But it turns out, as far as I can tell, based on the research and a thousand different obvious ways, that it's not only dangerous, but it seems to also destroy your immune system. So we'll go through this and you guys can come to your own conclusions as always. But what I'm concerned about is how clearly, despite what we know and can prove based on the dangerous aspects of what they've done, Fauci's own cell.com article basically outlining how the entire premise and the platform, what they've been doing needs to be reevaluated. And yet we're still sprinting forward in this direction. It very, it's very concerning to me. We're going to start off today with a couple of interesting points around the lie around East Palestine entirely, but so showing that even within the lie of the, that is East Palestine, the ongoing cover-up of the obvious reality on the ground, nobody should be looking at this any other way. The EPA is now arguing that they weren't even involved in the conversation about setting the controlled burn, which they're all still calling it, which is just, again, shows you how willfully dishonest they are. You can quite literally prove by the definition of the word that it wasn't controlled. Now the EPA is trying to distance themselves, and it's, it's very interesting to see, but it really does show you that they see that we see them, and that, that's what it looks like. Even these powerful level individuals to, you know, be aware and trying to avoid accountability. We should, it should be a positive note to see that because you're making a difference. Those of you listening and watching, you're making a difference. Now, let's start off with that point in general, because I think I, you guys know that we've been really nailing the driving this home, and I think a lot of people need we, – I think we all – owe this town and this country and the world a service, or we, we owe it to them to not let this fall away. Now, this is the News Nation platform, and it says the EPA denies approving burn after Ohio train derailment. The EPA said it didn't okay the controlled burn of vinyl chloride. Norfolk Southern, however, says the agency was involved in the decision. Locals say they don't trust the EPA and need more support. Now, it says in a statement to News Nation, the agency said it was not in consultation on the final decision to burn five tank cars full of vinyl chloride. We know for a fact that that's not true. Not only because we were told that they were there, that the EPA said that they were there, and on the record have been involved with every choice. And, and on top of that, even let's just put it this way. If you want to pretend that they weren't involved, what do you think that shows you? So we know they were there. That's, a, that's obvious. And we, they're now trying to kind of keep that muddied. So you're telling me that the Environmental Protection Agency was on site within hours, which they were, and then allowed choices to be made, high-level, very serious, reactionary, emergency-level choices by the very group that was responsible for the accident? Like, does that not show you either wild and uh, conflicts of interest, like they allowed Norfolk Southern to lead the charge for whatever reason, which shows you that they're not doing their job, or just complete incompetence? So what I always say, they would always be rather they would rather always be seen as incompetent than criminal. So maybe they are just incompetent. That wouldn't surprise me, but it's very easy for them to pretend like, well, yeah, we didn't we weren't involved, knowing what that shows of them, in hopes that they're not legally accountable for what we know was probably one of the biggest and deliberate environmental disasters I've ever seen. It says the local fire chief made the decision to do the controlled burn in consultation with Norfolk Southern, law enforcement, local law enforcement, and response officials from Ohio. That's the, the agency said this. Now, the EPA was acting in supporting role, not in consultation capacity. 
Now, I'm not even sure what that means. Doesn't consultation mean supporting? Regardless, the point is you are the government agency that's supposed to be acting on behalf of the people. We know that's not how this works. That reality has long since been destroyed. But the point, the illusion, excuse me. But you're admitting now that you went there on the ground and actively stood back and let them make choices that you knew would affect people's safety? I mean, that in and of itself seems like that should be a criminal charge. Regardless, this is kind of pathetic because we can prove when we own a moment that they were. On March 9th, Norfolk, Norfolk Southern CEO Alan Shaw told Congress, quote, that decision was made by unified command under the direction of the incident commander. So at the very least, Alan Shaw believes that he could put himself, you know, if he's lying about that, that's a crime in and of itself. So whether he's, you know, bottom line is he put that he put his own name on the line to be able to make the argument that the EPA was involved. And if that's a lie, that's because he probably knows that he made that choice and he's accountable for it and wants to blame it on somebody else, too. But either way you go at this, they're all responsible, all of them. Having him make that monumental decision in regard to the fire chief doesn't seem logical to me. Not sure why exactly, but it says former EPA minister said that uh, Judith Ennick said this. Now, is that because ultimately the EPA should have been involved or that it doesn't make seem logical that a fire chief would be involved with the decision of a burning situation? I'm not sure where he's going, but it says, quote, further, I was in a meeting with the EPA recently and asked them why they signed off on the decision to do the open burn. See, even he he points out it's an open burn. This is how dumbed down this stuff is. Now, ask yourself whether you think these newscasters on CNN or Fox even know the difference or even care. But the point is, they all parrot the controlled burn. Even Scott C. Smith's interview with the guy who knew what he was doing called it controlled burn like seven times in that interview. There's a reason they're doing that. But nonetheless, it's the most op- it's, it's, it's calling red black, right? We are like, that's obviously not red. Oh, just keep saying it's black. Just keep saying it. As long as you keep doing that, well, some people just go along. But it says, and they told me they did not sign off. Okay, well, then they're in trouble, right? Or rather, that's a juvenile way to put it. But the ultimate point is that they are accountable for allowing what happened. So even if you think they weren't involved, I think it's kind of crazy. They don't realize that by pointing that, even if they say they weren't involved, it's still your fault. That's what happened. That's what it's like to be a leader, even though that's not the best word we should use for these authority in charge. But as a leader, you are responsible for the actions of the people underneath you. It's a very poor leader to say, I didn't do it. It was that guy's fault. Somebody who you are in control of. That's the worst. That, that's a coward is what that is. And that's what you're seeing here. Resident Jamie Koza organized that meeting and now heads a local council fighting for justice. She says, quote, obviously, now that, Gary, this is a resident of East Palestine. Here's what she has to say about it. And this is what's so crazy. And this is how obvious this is. She says, obviously, there's no transparency and there's no communication. We're three months in. This is like the ubiquitous answer from anybody in East Palestine. And that's not hyperbole. Among the different agencies that are on the ground, no transparency, no communication, she says. She says, quote, the EPA told us that they were consulted about the controlled burn. They were in the room when the decision was made to do the controlled burn. That is what they're being told by the EPA in their consultate, in their you know hearings or rather uh, town halls. It says she says they're now pointing fingers to take the blame off themselves for a poor decision that was made. I think that's, you know, certainly possible. I think it's far more than that. I don't see how it can't be like this just can't be as simple, in my opinion, as a clumsy accident. There's something more here. I felt that from the beginning, but that's my opinion. Now it says, and by the way, just a quick point for those uh, who I've talked about this in the past. 
And right now it seems that there's a huge storm rolling over. So just heads up, if something happens and we lose connection, I'm most likely okay, unless it's a tornado, <laughs> which is certainly possible where we are. It seems to happen every 30 seconds. But just so you guys know, if we lose connection, that's most likely why. The local salon, it says, she goes on, paid to have people's hairs cut, people's hair cut. That's not helping the community. Like she's basically pointing out this is the kind of nonsense they're doing. That's promoting Norfolk Southern's narrative that everything is okay. Come back to town. You give my kid cancer and infertility and you want to give her an ice cream cone? That isn't helping us. That's adding insult to injury. She's right. Why would people need, what people need is vinyl chloride tests. That's her opinion. And I agree that's one thing. Because right now we've already shown you they're literally being told they're not going to be given because the CDC claims the testing period is over. What do you mean? Why are they in control of independent testing that I can pay for? Well, they're not. But yet, for some reason, these local testing groups are being allowed. They're standing back and saying, sorry, we can't. Think about how crazy that is. They have no actual control over this local testing, but they are not responding. We have two videos now, people trying to get testing. I'll pay for it. And they're like, sorry, you have to talk to your talk to the doctor. I don't know. They can't even talk about it. She says, we need air purifiers for our houses. We need independent agencies. And don't forget, the woman just told us she spent $5,000 on that high-level filter they suggested, and then they told her they wouldn't pay for it. She's the woman that they escorted out by police when she tried to show them photos of the disgusting water in her bathtub, even though they told her and swore up and down that it was completely safe. They're not giving the community what they need. They're using our businesses to create this narrative that we're okay and we're not okay. I just, I can't, just, so, I just can't stop thinking about how crazy this is and for no other reason it's crazy for a lot of reasons actually but the main reason for me is just simply because we can all see it literally everybody can see this and what's the other narrative what are they lying about all this certainly possible but i don't even hear that being spun it's like we just don't care well guess what guys they don't care and we've been telling you that for a long time well here is biden's own fact sheet from february 17th Within hours of Norfolk Southern train derailment, the Environmental Protection Agency deployed a team to East Palestine to support state and local emergency and environmental response efforts. So just so we're clear, we know that they were there within hours, which means every single moment forward, therefore, thereafter, they were responsible. Every choice that was made under, that, under their supervision is their responsibility. On top of that, we also know that they were involved with that decision because they've made that clear in different press conferences. Apparently now they just think you're too dumb to realize that we know that already. Because they're trying to change the narrative. Well, I also want to point out a few other things before we get into the focal point of today, which is that don't forget that in the beginning of all this, or rather early March, YouTube was censoring our East Palestine content under a guise of medical misinformation, a show that was literally only focused on dioxins and, and uh, East Palestine. Right? And, there, and that none of this was hyperbole. We were reading directly from period studies about what dioxins are and what they can do. And then going, well, we don't know. Maybe, this, maybe there's something going on there. That was early. And they censored it under medical misinformation. Point is, it's clear that there was already some level, which we know, by the way, is an arbitrary, ridiculous censorship tool that they use that doesn't even normally half the time apply to medical information. So here we are, where they, there was a level early on, they were being, in, I would argue, given direction to suppress this kind of content. Well, we all also remember something very important. Another shout out to Helena Destroy that on February 11th, before seemingly anybody was talking about this, interestingly, everybody was distracted by Chinese spy balloons. I wonder why. The point was that we, on February 10th, we know this just happened, right? It was sitting there burning. People were already getting sick. 
Nobody knew about this. Nobody's talking about it. Not even Tucker Carlson, who suddenly on the same day we did, made a big point about it. So why did it happen? Why was there 10 days where this was not being discussed? I said this in the very beginning. That doesn't even make sense. There must have been social media coming out, but weirdly, nobody was talking about it. There was only two real main accounts that I was seeing focused on. Anyway, I wanted to give her a shout out for trying to get the attention of the masses to this important story on the 11th. Sure wish there was free speech, which includes freedom of reach on this platform. Only today is the story getting really discussed. On top of that, adding one more point to this, I think it's almost hilarious how we see the propaganda from the narrative side of this, like the, the social media hasn't even caught up yet. Right. So they're over here going, we weren't there. We didn't do it. We weren't involved. Here's Republican Senator J.D. Vance back on March 9th saying that media and politicians were slow to respond to the Ohio trail derailment in part because the residents of East Palestine are a little too white, which regardless of his reasoning, the point is that was true, that they were slow. There was no real focal point or discussion until way after the fact. But then here's the point. Such a liar. The EPA was there within hours of the derailment. Biden offered to, okay, well, serious points. Well, that suddenly doesn't work out because now they don't want you to know that. I just think it's funny how now this same person will probably go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> now we're told a different narrative. So now that's what I'll say. I absolutely know. Either way, I think it's interesting that we're being lied to in like just bold faced right on the foot or bald faced, whichever way you want to put on the right on the surface. Now, couple quick points on Twitter that I wanted to share before we start with the vaccine discussion, which will be the rest of the show, which is that there's still suppression happening. You've James, James Thorpe, MD, who's doing excellent work, just out of Twitter jail. He tags Elon Musk. Why are you allowing Twitter to jail me? I've done not, but, uh, nothing but broadcast the truth. So ask yourself why that's happening. Why is he being tapped on the wrist and saying, delete that tweet? Or you're not allowed back on this supposedly free speech platform. Isn't he the whole person fighting for the free speech side of this or the medical freedom side? Or, you know, we're all fighting against the vaccines and Elon's saving free speech to fight the medical tyranny. But guess what? That's not what's happening. And on the other side of it, this, and I'm not, you know, you, it's easy to make these kind of partisan points within this because people ridiculously believe he's on their side, on one side of the paradigm. So that's why, but that, just to be clear, I don't believe that it's a partisan point here. But from that perspective, you've got medical freedom discussion that more than just James Thorpe. You've seen me. I've been pointing this out for months now. Oh, yeah. What happened to Twitter files? You mean the, the Twitter screenshots that we never got source material for? Yeah, those. Remember those? Remember what Fauci files that never came along? Freedom, free speech, and everybody on the two-party paradigm. But he's just one of many. But on the other side of the right discussion, you have the, you know, trans focus, Right. Or not the right discussion, but the you know two-party paradigm conversation. And then those of us outside of it can see both sides of the problem here, where it's being misrepresented on every possible side everywhere. And there are crazy people that are being caught up in the politicization. And there are normal people, or, you know, that's even from my perspective, I wouldn't call it normal. But regardless, people that are not out there trying to push things on you that are part of that community, regardless of all of that, I'm not going to get into it deep again today. I've made my stance very clear, and I'm very concerned about where it's going from every side, actually. But here is somebody who just got censored on, on Twitter for this. Here's what he wrote. Sexual dysmorphia is a mental illness and should be treated as such. Many are gay when they mature, which as a gay man yourself, I would think you support. It's odd that you rather permanently disfigure and sterilize them instead. Okay, well, I, we all understand that in somebody's perspective, that's super, super unacceptable and racist and bigoted and blah, blah, blah. But doesn't Elon support free speech? 
Isn't that the whole point? That that's clearly what this person thinks. He's not being inflammatory. He's just stating, a, and plenty of people, from a scientific perspective, that's pretty obvious to understand. Sexual dysmorphia is a mental illness, and we do have to treat it as such. And the point is that ultimately, it's his opinion. And yes, it was censored under hateful conduct, because just like we told you, hate speech is still a thing on Twitter. Because he said that right in the beginning. He's working with the ADL and everything. But you know what? Don't listen to me because I'm a, a left guy one day and a right guy this day or with a shill for the right and a shill for the left and a shill for Russia and a shill for China or whatever they say that day. When in reality, we're just being objective, maintaining a, <laughs> I mean, consistency, if you really want to know, which is so funny. I'll take a consistent stance on something like this and watch how the two-party paradigm oscillates around my opinion for the next two years. And somehow I'm the one that's always flip-flopping. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Anybody out there that knows, sees the two-party paradigm knows exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, this is still happening. Let's be aware of that. Also, on a couple of quick notes, I wanted to point out something on Rumble. Here's a video that we put out. And you guys know that this is the Alberta discussion about the 14 to 21-day illusion of the vaccine side effects, right? This video has over 1 million views on Rumble. One comment. So either those numbers are fake or that, you know, something, something doesn't add up. On top of that, you can, I can show you in the back end that this is a 1 million view plat- video, which watch it for yourself. You'll see all sorts of advertisements and I've made maybe 60 cents. So something's not right. And I think we all are hopefully beginning to see that there's, you know, whether you think it's about non-free speech or some kind of higher level manipulation or just the fact that Rumble pretends to care about things they don't really care about in the back end and really focus on people they want to support, who ultimately knows? Right. And if they hate the fact that I would even ask that question, I'm not saying I know that for sure. Well, that's suspicious to me. People should welcome critique. Right. Because that's the ultimate point. Well, if you're anyway, the bottom line is it's a great video, which you should watch. But I'm very concerned these days about what's going on with this and how we're seemingly being pushed and funneled into this platform that seems to have all the same choke points as YouTube. I don't know why we don't recognize that, or some people don't. It's got the same Amazon cloud service. Everything that allowed YouTube to be pressured to censor, or if that's how you want to look at it, is the same thing that can happen here. So ask yourself why it makes sense that the same advertising companies and the same high-level businesses that, at least on the surface, we were told forced YouTube to censor because we can't allow dangerous misinformation or allowing that reach on Scrumble. In many cases, to get way more views, if that's real. Why does that make sense? Wouldn't they care about misinformation wherever it was? Something's amiss, guys. We must see that. But as I said here, over 1 million views displayed on this TLAB video, yet only one comment, and despite ads playing less than a dollar in revenue over after over a year. Something is definitely up, uh, up over there. Now, Rumble responded, which I'm surprised. They haven't responded to me for the last couple, year or so after I've you know, kind, kind of engaged. It says the views may have come from a website that embedded the video where ads may not display, which is that's fair. That's a, that's a good point. But there's no way that amounts to everything we can see in the back end. And as I said, well, we've already engaged on DM about this the last time. And you guys just stopped responding when I, you know, that's exactly what happened, including, as I said before, on the video that they actually demonetized and suppressed. And when I said, hey, what's going on with this? They said, oh, well, the the video's graphic or the image is graphic. And I said, well, here's the same image on three other platform videos that are mainstream, like Fox and CNN never responded. (laughs) Is that how that works? <laughs> okay, well, that's, I think, the point. But I said, I'm sure what you're saying is a playing a factor here, but this is not the norm for me, or this is the norm for me across all my videos, not the exception. And I'm hearing the same from a lot of people today. Just wanted to point that out. Question everything, guys. And, on, and then just in case you want to just watch it, 
This is, a, I think this is a really important clip. And if those views are accurate, then this is why. A clip from the Daily Wrap-Up from 124-2022 on the deception taking place in the 14 to 21 day period after the COVID jab, right? That's where it's, we're over. And this is easily proven based on Alberta's data that you can see with it, which they later deleted, as well as every other platform you want to look at. Over 80% of all cases, hospitalizations, and deaths after the jab occur in that first 14 to 21 day period. Yet that's all getting dismissed as unvaccinated, even to this day. And I tagged Professor uh, Fenton because I actually want to connect with him. He's been really knocking that down lately, really focusing on that window and how obviously it's being used to manipulate. Now, on that note of manipulation and obvious deception and lies and dishonesty, that's the entire rest of the show about how we're still being lied to about the efficacy, the safety the actual process, the ingredients of everything under the sun in the COVID-19 discussion. Now, Donald Best, a friend of mine who is uh, in Canada, you guys, hopefully, I hope you remember his story. We actually interviewed him and have you know, worked intermittently with different things in the past. He's an, a detective, or I, I think, I believe he's a, he used to be, and now he's a private investigator. Either way, the point is that he, he works with some pretty high level stuff. And his main case back in the day was where he proved he actually i believe he actually went to jail under false pretenses and actually ended up proving that not only did the judge and the and the, the high level government it, uh, attorneys lied on the record and they got in trouble for it i doubt it was actually something about you know enough but either way it just shows you how it's it's a, people don't think that stuff happens the, the entire the entire the entire uh what's the word i'm looking for system was against him at that point and that's how it always seems to work in any case check out his work he's on a lot of other things other than this this topic but he says official policy of the liberal party and this is in canada mandatory vaccine injections for canadians wanting to travel between provinces that's right now guys this is happening in 2023 after everything we've talked about after everything we're now proving about the dangers of these things the current bivalent level that i'm going to show you again in a minute from uh, steve kirch was sharing it again that at least even by their own data Barely 30% efficacy. And on top of that, we know that there's a net harm for those that are all the way around, that they cause more adverse events, that they, I mean, everything about it. And now they're saying you have to get it if you're going to travel between provinces. So you know what that begins to sound like as well? Well, mandatory injections between your 15-minute cities. Well, th- now you're pretty much stuck, right? I mean, either way you look at it, I can't believe that we can, anybody anywhere had ever rationalized mandatory injections ever, let alone where we are now with everything we know about how dangerous these things are. But it is still happening right now. Not just in Canada, by the way, but on top of that, it's also happening globally. As the Defender points out, the big catch-up. <laughs> they love to pretend like we everybody wanted to get their injections, but they couldn't because of the pandemic. No, people are aware of what you guys are doing, and they are desperately afraid of what else you might be lying about. And that's the right thing to think. Always, we always should have been questioning everything. Doesn't mean deny everything. It means consider everything and question and show discernment with every topic. Come to your own conclusions about it. But Chelsea Clinton partners with the WHO. Hey, fantastic. Gates Foundation on, quote, the largest childhood immunization effort ever. So we got the Clintons, the WHO, and the Gates Foundation. That's a great mix of people that really care about your well-being, right? Historically, can't you just tell? You just feel it. Well, the bottom line, as I hopefully know that I'm being facetious, is that this is a weird focus on children at a time when you've seen a drop in childhood injections, largely because of the obvious dangers people are understanding. And now what they're pretending is, oh, they just wanted to and couldn't. So what you're really doing is pressuring all the people who have now changed their minds, which is always how this works, whether the COVID-19, everything else. 
the illusion they're in. They pretended like, well, they we they we, they just don't understand. We'll go door to door and be like, "Have you got the word? Have you heard the word of the new injection?" Just just like a religious thing, right? Have you got all the information you need? Yes, man, you were here yesterday. I understand. Go away. We'll come back the next day. Hey, did you, did you, are you sure you don't want any more pamphlets? It's just so weird, and it's that's why people got really unnerved about it. Because even those that wanted to support it, they were like, "This just feels strange." And the ones that just didn't care were, you know, we know what those kind of people are. But so now they're coming around going, we're going to pre- we're going to go around the world and literally make an entire focus on getting these kids injected. And understand that doesn't just mean the things before. we're talking about flu, mRNA stuff, COVID-19, RSV. All these are mRNA, at least new directions. Now, on top of that, all the other previous ones that they take simultaneously that have not been tested alongside each other and also have a lot of their own side effects, not, most of which it seems we don't even need. And personally, in my opinion, I would argue probably all of them. That's that's my stance. Here it is. Global partners announce a new effort. The big catch up to vaccinate millions of children and restore immunization progress lost during the pandemic. Well, okay, is that what we want? Does it even matter? The progress of your agenda? So these are people making up their own mind. They're deciding they don't want these now. And you're going to go, well, we're going to get them done. (laughs) It's just on the surface. They're telling you that it's about what they want, not what you think or care about. Scary. Now, let's talk about what they're actually doing, because realize the COVID-19 injection is part of what they're talking about. In fact, I would argue that's the focus. The Vigilant Fox points out, devastating Cleveland study reveals more COVID vaccine doses equals more COVID. We've talked about the study already, but I felt it was important to rehash, rehash this. And it's also a great clip of Stephen Kirch pointing out the reality and outlining it very well. I'll just let it play real quick, then I'll read this afterwards so I don't do what I did the other day and read it. And then it's literally verbatim what he's saying. Cleveland Clinic is rated the number two hospital in the world. And so when a study comes out of Cleveland Clinic, people take it very seriously. And this study was devastating for the vaccine. Except when that happens, then all of a sudden it becomes a fringe out the conspiracy theorist hovel in the corner. <laughs> you know, like British Medical Journal becomes a fringe health blog. It's just that's how stupid this all is, that you can have the leading people in the field and suddenly because of one thing that people think they're supposed to disagree with, they've been debunked forever. <laughs> what do you mean they've been debunked? Everything they've ever done their entire lives been debunked? Yes. <laughs> just think about the inherent stupidity with something like that. And it wasn't intended to. What, they're, what they were trying to do was they were trying to show that the boosters have efficacy. And so they believe that there's a 30% vaccine efficacy for the booster shot. But as part of the paper, they showed figure two. And figure two says, hey, if everybody, if we start looking at a group of 51,000 employees of the Cleveland Clinic spread throughout the country, and we look at the number of vaccine doses that they have, that the risk of them being infected actually increases for every single dose of the vaccine that they get. And this lines up with the negative efficacy. This lines up with the actual increased risk of getting any kind of infection like this. We talked about all of this. We talked about right in the beginning. Remember all these studies that they shouted down like we didn't understand. It's so hilarious how obviously they've come to pass. Like the Pentagon study prior to COVID that investigated coronaviruses in general 
right? And they found out that the flu vaccine actually increases your risk of coronaviruses in general. And then also the, the flu and the common cold, which is a coronavirus. Okay, so the point was that, yeah, well, then the flu vaccine obviously primed everybody. And, oh, fake news. And it's just the same thing we're seeing is that all the data now shows you that not only did that happen, but the COVID injection, in fact, actually did increase their risk of getting and transmitting COVID-19 or whatever we want to talk about it as. That was what the UK data showed, the Scotland data showed, the Ontario data showed, the South, New South Wales, all of these. We proved this to you, and that's why all those now are being hidden from you. Like, think of how clear that is. Are they really going to pretend they started hiding all that data because we just misunderstood it? Wouldn't that be the opposite of the right? Isn't their whole point that we don't, I mean, you know where I'm going. It's just kind of sad how obviously this is a cover-up. Oops, dang it. Right there. That they get. You get one dose. If you're unvaccinated, you're less likely to get COVID. If you have one dose, you're more likely to get COVID. You have two doses, you're way more likely to get COVID, three doses. And they show this consistently over a 90-day observation period for the 51,000 people. And they're all divided into different groups. It's all working-age healthcare workers, not people who are sick in the hospital. These are employees of the Cleveland Clinic. And they basically measured, well, you know, how, how does their vaccination status impact our risk of getting COVID. And they found the opposite of what we were being told. Right. And they still hid it from us. And this is the study we're talking about here. The study found that the current bivalent vaccines, this was in 2022, I believe, 2022, March 2020. Oh, excuse me. Oh, this was updated, actually. So this was posted back in 2022, but this is the updated, now peer-reviewed, I believe, version. I believe, let me see if it was, uh, what does it mean? It's not been peer-reviewed. Well, hold on. Oh, you know, I'm going to take too much time. Regardless, the, the date is actually not as important as the point. But this study we've talked about before, and I had it on the old page where it had the little red writing right here that said, see the most updated version. That was from 2022. In any case, here's what it says. The study found that the current bivalent vaccines were about 29% effective overall in protecting against SARS-CoV-2 when Omicron discussion. And effectiveness was even lower when that wasn't the focus. So at best, you had 29% efficacy. If that's, how how much you want to bet that's relative, like these are lies from regardless, but that's a lie on, and and it's still 29% effective. And then on top of that is the risk involved that they pretend isn't part of the conversation. But his point is not just that. It's that this actual graph, like a lot of these that they just don't really focus on, literally shows you, as you can see on this side, it's the cumulative incidence of COVID-19. And what you're seeing is very simple. As they get more shots, actually, I can only get rid of the, there it goes. So you can actually see down here the number, the colors, right? Zero, one, two, three, and so forth, right? So the bottom line is the lowest number is zero. That's the black line. So, as you get more shots, it's undeniable that your risk of getting COVID continues to increase. And that's through multiple variants, if that's even what's happening. I mean, it's just as plain as day. You are getting sick. You are hurting your immune system. You are increasing your risk of spreading and catching and so on, which then creates variants and blah, 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 blah. That's their information, guys. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of mind-blowing. Now, Steve Kirsch also points out, did you know why California hasn't found any deaths linked to COVID vaccines? I think you already know why. 
They didn't even look. And we've been saying this from the very beginning. The whole lie about Vayers, we keep pointing out that Dr. June Rain from the yellow card system in the UK in 2006 made it very clear that we don't need to prove any of these. It's a signal system, and that's it. The whole point of the system is we don't need to prove anything. Is we have a high enough signal, we stop them. Now, somewhere along the line, they just pretended that wasn't the case anymore, probably COVID-19. And they go, well, we don't know for sure. Well, okay, what does we don't know for sure mean? We don't know. So why does that then translate into these aren't real? Because that's the easiest way to dismiss this. Oh, a bunch of conspiracy theorists. Well, have you proven that? Some of them must be somebody who's wrong. That just has to be a reality or lying or so on. But there is hundreds of thousands of reports. What, 30,000 death reports now? 99% of any reports in the entire system are in the period just in COVID-19. It's been around since, I think, what, the 90s? We all know this stuff. So they're not looking. But they pretended they were. Remember, they oh, we're, we're investigating every single one. They, they later admitted they never even had the resources, which is what I said. Funny how with the conspiracy theorists, you know, it's just common logic. Now, the bottom line on this is just that that's, they didn't even look. And he has the proof. You can look at it for yourself. They've got FOIA requests, and they're coming back saying this. It says they did not find records for your request. So they're specifically asking for their investigations, and they're saying there are none. They haven't even looked at any of them. Think about that. Now, just for, for, before you forget, this is the bivalent focus. This is just about the bivalent, the COVID vaccine booster for young adults. And as if you haven't seen this, we've talked about it many times. To prevent just one hospitalization over a six-month period, they estimated that it would take between 30,000 to 42,836 young adults, each of them to individually get three different mRNA booster bivalent shots just to potentially stop one hospitalization. The other side of it, though, and they say that's why that they, they expect cause a net harm. That's, no, that's not hard to understand is because they anticipated 18.5 serious adverse events from each injection or in, the, in, in from those injections, right? So to stop one hospitalization, it takes 42,000 kids getting three shots. And in that, they expect 18.5 serious adverse events, which means hospitalization, permanent disability, death. You guys know this, though. Most of you have seen it. How does that not stand? That is the high, current level of most of the research. Peer-reviewed, high-level British Medical Journal. And here's the Substack post that Scott put together on this topic and the show that we did. And he added a whole bunch of extra stuff. So make sure you check these out. He's always doing good on the Substack and just, you know, flushing even further out the things that we're covering on this show and other people's excellent writing like uh, Maddie Bannon and uh, uh, Zoe, I'm forgetting her last name, just put out a great post. Anyway, the point is, guys, this is very, very obvious. Now, let's talk about the ongoing illusion Many people, especially people that are on the side that COVID's over and we won, the masks work and everything's fine, the illusion that that is, they're, they're still kind of acting like this is ongoing. Like that people are still getting sick and going to the hospitals. Now, what I real and what, well, first of all, what I can prove just to a large degree that these are, are vaccine side effects. But do I know that's all of them? No. Plenty of them could be something else. But this is Dr. Ellie Murray saying, according to the CDC, oh, great, let's go, that's a good way to start. Which, of course, is not crazy. People always say, well, this is what the CDC is saying. But realize that, that when you, what she's doing here is not saying, well, the CDC claims. <laughs> she's going, according to the CDC, and then the whole post is, this is what's happening. Which is how this works for most people. Especially many doctors that have bought into the system. That if they say it, it is true, no matter what. 
Well, we've already caught them lying about 15 different things in the last 30 seconds. So it's pretty clear that you can't just blindly trust authority. I thought people were smart enough to know that. But there are currently 8,191 people hospitalized with COVID-19. Now, are they hospitalized with COVID-19 or are they hospitalized and then were tested with something and told they had COVID-19? Well, we've already seen Fauci himself admit that, that that is the way this is working in a recent interview. That, yeah, well, a lot of people get tested after they're in the hospital. People are literally on their deathbed and they get tested and then they get they die from something unrelated. And that goes down as a COVID-19 death. That's because they changed those codes. We just actually talked about the ICD-10 codes. This says this week there is an average of 1,375 people, new admissions for COVID every day. That's 9,625 total for the week. You can read these things for yourself, and you know that's part of it. We know that there's false positives. We know that people are being told they have something that they don't, the symptoms alone, the PCR test. But it says in context, there was 911 people admitted for the flu. So they really want you to think that this is still a problem. But we're not considering that there's vaccine side effects that are being literally diagnosed as COVID-19, as long COVID, which becomes the same thing. It says both these trackers provide summary data reported by all certified hospitals. The most recent values are often a a little bit in flux as most complete data become available. So the numbers appear above are potentially lower bounds than the true values. Well, how about the fact that these trackers have already been exposed to be often manipulated using old data, you know, fluffing it with things that they know aren't actually, we've we've gone over this uh, probably six different times. Now, anyway, aside all that, I want to just point out things that we, that, a couple quick points, and again, you could make an entire three-hour show about this point. Just the mass alone. We just talked about this yesterday, 2023. Not only are they showing you that the masks are dangerous, you can just quickly glance at this and see that, that they, all of them, medical and N95, they have, you know, not statistically significant in reducing transmission. That's a fact. On top of that, they do cause, as we should have always known, uh, hypercapnia, hypoxia, trouble breathing. Skin irritation, itching, acne, heat, dizziness, voice disorders, all of this. But on top of it, it says so far in this high-level peer-reviewed study from Frontiers.org, it says several mask-related symptoms that they can prove are being caused by the mask have been misinterpreted as long COVID symptoms. You don't say. We also have this. In rare cases, coronavirus vaccines may cause long COVID-like symptoms. (gasps) No way. That's from 2022. So it's funny that we know that from science.org, that it is at least some of it, but yet you mention that and you get laughed out of town on, oh, you conspiracy theorists. Well, we know it is some of it, so we don't, that's the same with theirs. That way any of these work. It's all encompassing or nothing for these people. I don't know why that makes sense to anybody that's honest. Well, here's Denise DeWald saying, I personally know two young people who had strokes after a mild case of COVID. People I know outside of a medical setting, but let's not talk about that. Okay, so now you've got people on the side that this is all real who are also saying it's a conspiracy. Nobody's talking about how COVID still exists. So they're not trusting the science, are they? If they're doubting the scientists who are supposed to be trusted, like the CDC is going, WHO is saying, hey, it's over. You know, still take precautions, but it's over. And they're going, you don't know. <laughs> COVID's still killing everybody. It's just kind of strange how it shows you that these people are claiming trust the science, but then suddenly when the science, not the science, but what the, they claim is the science, changes, They push back on it. I'm still going to wear my mask. It's like, well, then you're not trusting the science or what you thought was the science. So you're trusting a narrative then or what you want to be the narrative. That's pretty ridiculous. But Laura says, how is it possible they wrote an entire article without mentioning COVID once? It says risk of stroke surges 50% worldwide. 
You know what else is doing that? You know where this is going. My extended family lost a young, a, a young family member to post-COVID cerebral stroke last year. You know how many, we've already shown you three different studies that, that very clearly outline that long COVID is psychosomatic. Now, that, they, I guarantee there's some of those studies saying otherwise. But those are the highest level you're going to find. Peer-reviewed, highest platforms, gigantic studies. And then you also realize that the idea that the entire concept of post-long long COVID and all this has been wildly undermined recently with all the things we've been showing. That mask is causing these, the injections are overlapped with that. It's a lot, guys. It is obviously, now there's always some sort of lingering something or that can happen from any kind of problem. But the idea <clears throat> that 12 months after this, because you've got them sniffles and a headache, that they call it long COVID, or even something much worse, they still call it long COVID with nothing other than symptoms and that you've claimed that you've had COVID. And she just goes, exactly. They're not mentioning it. They're hiding it from everybody. Or are they? Well, this is, we also just showed this. April 27th, 2023, from Sage Journals. A meta-analysis, in fact, of, as we pointed out before, 30 different peer-reviewed studies. 30 of them. It's amazing they push back with their opinion when this is what this, the people screaming trust the science. That's how dumb this is. But the point, again, to highlight it, the stroke is by far the most common neurological side effect of SARS-CoV-2 vaccines, followed by Bell's palsy and seizures. They can't hide from this anymore. I mean, this is coming out from the steam, the seams at this point. But so if we know that a stroke is the obvious side effect, how much you want to bet these kids that she's talking about probably had four different shots in his body? And then we know that the 50% surge that perfectly correlates with the administration of a brand new injection probably is a likely place to look. It's just kind of mind-blowing how stupid this is. And this person rightly says, well, were they vaccinated? <laughs> Dr. Wolf says the same thing in reverse. But let's not talk about that. All COVID's fault. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's just kind of hilarious how the, in a very sad, macabre way, because people are being hurt. Well, don't forget this example of, of Doug, I think it's Brig, Brignole, or however you pronounce it, the bodybuilder, right? We all know the story. He was a believer in the COVID vaccines, right? He actually offered his life as a test case. He wrote openly, if I die, you were right. Sadly, we were right. He died a week after he was injected. A very healthy, very fit person. Now, Steve Kirch ordered his autopsy report from the L.A. corner. He died face down in his house. His house cleaner found him the day after. They ran a COVID test on him, and it was positive. So they labeled it a COVID death. Now, we're going to get into more about that in general, about how these things, you know, <clears throat> the, first of all, just the false positive is always there, always prevalent. But on top of that, that you can be, ha you can have examples of overlap to this from taking the injection and having false positives that are caused by that or any other things we're going to get into. But aside from that, his point, I think, is the most valid. He says, Doug got vaccinated with his girlfriend a week before he died. She refused to talk about it publicly. As is commonly the case, he got COVID after the jab. Right. So why would that be blamed on COVID if all of it, the impetus of the entire thing was the jab? Because that's the easy way to play this. It says, but COVID doesn't kill people like that. And that's the truth. So Doug died from the jab. I mean, assuming you, you think it's even present, right? We have to realize, as Danny Rancourt has pointed out, that statistically speaking, it's certainly possible that this was completely manufactured based on combining pneumonia and flu and false positives and then repackaging side effects as COVID. Certainly, it's, it's, all the stuff is there, all the components. 
But he says it's too bad that his family didn't do a proper autopsy to show the world his histopathology studies that would have made his obvious to everyone. Doug developed a set of exercises known as the Brig 20, which he believes optimally trains all the major muscle groups while avoiding compound lifts. You can buy his book on Amazon, one of the most impressive books he's ever read. But he says some people asked about steroids. Um, oh, I think I thought there was one other point. He says, uh, as soon as I asked about the vaccine, she hung up on, on the, the, the person, uh, his girlfriend, over Target. I found out later they were both vaccinated a week before. That's why she didn't want to talk about it, in his opinion. Remember, Doug was very clear. He said, if I die, you were right. He died. I'm simply respecting his words. Isn't that the least we can do? As for people who said he was vaccinated over a year ago, that's right. He was vaccinated long ago. But he was also boosted a week before he died because he was going on a trip. It's just painful to see how clear this is. Now, let's talk about something that I think is really important to this. That I, I, that I you know, I, I feel like I generally understand, but I haven't taken the time to like try to outline this in a way that makes sense to kind of at least from what they claim anyway is digestible. <clears throat> now, here is uh, Faux Kit, <laughs> who is engaging in a conversation with Rex here. But the point was, T-Lab does deep dive into research data that's available. I like that. He doesn't, he doesn't show me how you can create mRNA vaccines. It's interesting, right? It's really an important part of the discussion. I agree with this. And he says, that, but he says, but I know for 99% sure I'll never know it. Now, maybe, maybe, maybe this isn't enough. But he says, uh, we even got Dr. Malone on our side. And I don't know about that. But we still don't know it. So weird. It hurts. But the point is, okay, it's a, it's a very important question that we should ask, right? How ex- and I've thought the same thing. How exactly do you take a computer sequence? Especially as we're going to prove to you yet again, despite the lie we're spun still to this day, that that didn't sound right when I ended with the lie part. But the first thing is that we proved to you recently that they did not, and many times before that, need anything physical or any kind of isolation. Now, I've also proven, I believe, that they did not do that and still to this day have not met Coast Postulates. Somebody, as much as people push back on that, it's a very clearly proven thing. Now, regardless... Because that, that inclu- includes um, at least one of the steps I'm not going to get into that they didn't meet in every one I've looked at. But on top of that, which you need to meet all four of those steps, but on top of that, that it wasn't technically purified or isolated, which has to happen. If you have other things in there, it's not isolated. I've had three interviews with Dr. Kaufman. We've talked about that explicitly. Now, the point, though, is that they got the genetic sequence from China, January 11th. Two days later, they made the mRNA-1273, and to this day, they're still using that. So they never actually needed it. They just needed a genetic sequence on a computer screen that came from China, of all places, that Trump allowed to be the basis for everything under Whopper's warp speed. That makes sense, right? China didn't let us know, but we're going to blindly trust their information. Now, the question, though, is how do you take that sequence and turn it into something? Well, let's look at what they claim. Here is the National Human Genome Research Institute. COVID-19 mRNA vaccine production, which, again, understand this is one of the main points of today, They're not talking about messenger RNA. This, all of these are synthetic messenger RNA, which is very different as we've shown you before. In fact, one that I'll come back to in a minute is that we've talked about in the last show. In January 2020, modified RNA has a direct effect on DNA. And there's another point in that today that I'll prove to you. Now, why would they keep that secret? Why would they not want you to know that? Well, because people are more resistant to things that are genetically modified, things that are unnatural. Now, you, you could argue unnatural sounds like it, that's exactly what it is. That, I don't have, that doesn't have to mean some like nefarious thing, but I believe it is. Either way, not only is it different, it's 
has more dangers to it. There's more, there's the, the way that it breaks down is different. The way that it influences your body is different. And, and now, interestingly enough, they seem to be calling it synthetic mRNA. Now, why would they put myRNA in all the earlier conversations and then switch? I think it's because people are starting to pay attention. Just my thought. Because it took me a minute when I was looking through this. I was like, why is there no mention of mod? I know that's what these are. And I suddenly realized they're calling it synthetic mRNA. And there you go. Put it all together. You'll see it in a minute. Now, here's what they're talking about on how this works. Right. So we have a, a computer screen where China sends a genetic sequence. You know, the different numbers and things. That's what they're getting. Just like this right here. You, they're getting that. And it's a, how, would, how in the world does that add up, right? Well, it says early in the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, there's a lot of this that's just the way they put it. They, that's untrue, in my opinion. And I'll show you what I mean. Researchers used state-of-the-art genomic sequencers to quickly sequence the SARS-CoV-2 virus. This sequence was quickly shared with other researchers. Well, that's not even remotely what actually happened. I'll show you this again. I'll come back to it. The way this started was China shared the genetic sequence. They claimed they'd isolated, right? On January 11th. Well, January 13th, they've already literally made this into an injection. They finalized the sequence. Or technically not made it into injection just yet, but they finalized the sequence that never changed since then. The batch was first made on February 7th. Right? So a, a few days less than a month later, they'd already literally made injections. At this point on February 7th, this is still a sequence on a computer. Nothing. The, the, the argument they're making over here is that somehow this was some massively shared concept and they all, that's not what happened. Now, there's people that later argue that they did isolate this and so on, but we've proven, like I said before, that they did not meet Koch's postulates and arguably there was no isolation or purification. There was things that were involved and it wasn't technically really isolated. But either way, I'm sure people disagree with that. The point ultimately, one second, I've just lost my train of thought, was that, that, you know, just back to the main point, that ultimately that they shared that sequence and that's all that they needed. Oh, that's what it was. I forgot, like I always do. It's important to share this part too. The timing of this is important, that they, on January 11th, they sent the sequence. One month later, they were already they already had injections made. Two days later, they finalized the sequence, right? So did they need it isolated? Apparently, they didn't. And then we find out that the CDC admitted on MSNBC that they had not isolated it. Now, you can argue they later did, which is what people are saying. But you have to factor in the fact, that regardless of that argument, that they proven, they said right here that they did not do that. So when we know that in February 7th, it was already being done, and then you know that they hadn't isolated, the point is they obviously never needed it isolated. That's the interesting point. And why has the data not been shared? No, the data that isolated the virus. That's the issue. The center, that's, he's from the CDC of China. He, but that, that is a publicly available interview you can find for yourself. Back to this point. So obviously my point is that's just not reality, but that's the narrative, and that's easier to put out. Obviously this is NIH, so it's pretty clear. But then it goes on to say, well, once researchers analyze the viral sequence, so a computer screen, using cutting-edge bioinformatics approaches, they selected the spike protein gene as their vaccine candidate. Now, I guess arguably what it means is that on this computerized sequence, they're able to differentiate between different parts of this. Which, you know, again, this stuff, you know, I'm not the expert here, but even that seems to kind of get a little bit convoluted to me. How exactly does that make sense? And if they're trusting what China sent over, how do you even know what you're looking at is the right thing? I think that's a big point as well. But then it goes on to say, so now they got the screen, They've got the genetic sequence. They pick out one part of it that's the spike protein, They, I guess they assume. <laughs> and it says the genetic sequence is then optimized 
for the vaccine based on years of previous research on coronaviruses. Which, again, that doesn't make much sense to me because we know that it's the same, that the, the technique was the lipid nanoparticle con- the, the, the lipid nanoparticle encapsulation, and the higher that went, the more the serious adverse events increased. And that's why they kept failing. Now, the way they succeeded again is they put, they just increased the lipid nanoparticle concentration. It's right in their own documentation. It's even praised on corporate media discussion. But nobody then comes back and goes, well, then why is it not hurting? Well, it is hurting people. So the previous research, in my opinion, was, yes, it built to what the direction, the, the direction that ultimately ended up taking place. But we know that Charles Lieber's research from 2011 with virus-sized transistors and the discovery of that exact lipid com- component that allowed it to go into the cell without hurting the cell was where it came from. But then we know that the safety research does not translate. So the fact that they act, act like it rushed in, well, it was 20 years of research. Well, that doesn't apply to safety. So they just skip past all that. Well, anyway, back to the point. They take that out. It says, understanding the viral genome also allows researchers to update the vaccine if they detect new strains of the virus that may require a new version. Well, that's ridiculous. So now we're at a point where you're taking a sequence from a computer that you've never proven, at least at that point, and then arguing that all you need to do when you get some new thing that your PCR test just tells you is different, that you just alter this and that, and then just put, pump out more stuff. Well, we're seeing how that actually works out. Hurts people. Net harm is what the point is. But that's what they wanted you to believe. It was the platform, right? No safety tests. No safety tests needed. We just pump out the new thing. Well, here is the. Uh, we, it gets into the actual specifics. Now it says the target spike protein gene that they pluck out from that sequence is then synthetically manufactured. Okay, so this is where it gets really interesting, and I think this is where we need to speak with somebody about how the process works. I mean, to me, it starts to begin to sound like like three D printing for for vaccines or medicine. So you're taking something that is hypothetical and then you are bringing it into reality using synthetic manufacturing and inserting that into a plasmid or a small circular piece of DNA. So this is where we get into the concept of, you know, the HIV insert and these different kind of concepts about using DNA to be this or rather even more specifically, the broader sense of using viruses or bacteria as the vector to deliver these things. Right. And this is the go- it all overlaps with the bigger conversation of Charles Lieber's work and even touching on stuff that overlaps with the brain machine interface, but different conversation. It says once a sequence is selected, a new plasmid can be produced within a couple of weeks. So now what is that? What does that mean? Are we talking about growing DNA pieces? I don't know how you would argue that's natural, but it says, and then it says, uh, and a new plasmid can be produced in a couple of weeks, allowing new MRNA vaccines, actually synthetic MRNA or mod RNA, mod mRNA, to be tested and distributed rapidly. Well, we're seeing that's not how this works out. The rapid part of this is not okay. It's hurting people right now. Or maybe that was the plan. I don't know. But it says researchers then used established laboratory-based research protocols to create mRNA in a method that mimics our own biological processes. So think how interesting it is that even this platform well, again, I guess it's NIH, so that makes sense, is saying created mRNA. Well, you're not creating messenger RNA. You are creating synthetic modified RNA. It says, first, they separate the two strands of plasma DNA. Then RNA polymers, the molecule that transcribes RNA from DNA, uses the spike protein gene to create a single mRNA molecule. So apparently all of this is happening uh, synthetically in a lab based back on a sequence from a computer screen. And then you were just printing this stuff out or however the correct word would be. 
and knowing that we came from a place where it's not even actually proven to exist, how do you make sense of that? This is where people begin to ask about, you know, the bioweapon conversation or the experiment conversation, all of which are valid points. Then it says mRNA is a fragile molecule, so researchers put it in a fatty lipid bilayer, which protects it while the vaccine is packaged, shipped, and administered. So that's their argument. That's the, the stated kind of general point of it. Now, I think outside of the actual technical point in between there of how they phys- actually scientifically, technologically print or whatever the right word would be, that sequence into some kind of physical thing, that's, I'm interested in that. How does that actually take place? And then I guess maybe to go back to the same point, maybe they're right. Maybe, maybe 99% sure that we will never fully, maybe that's not even possible. Maybe we're all being lied to. But it seems like even that didn't really kind of answer that middle point question. But I think it really is important to continue to stress the fact that they shipped their first batch of this on February 24th, and that is still, still the injection to this day that is being used. Or at the very least, the basis for the next edition. So all of them are based on that from the very beginning, where they admitted they never did so. Well, we just talked about the mod RNA lie yesterday. So let's continue that point, understanding how we are being deceived about what is actually in these injections in a lot of different ways. We'll start with this article from 2017. The next big thing in synthetic biology, artificial mRNA and gene therapy. What do you know back when they didn't try to differentiate? But here's the interesting point about this. You know, so it's it's obvious that we're talking about artificial genetically modified type stuff. So at some point in the conversation, they decided they didn't want you to know that. It says, although the messenger RNA, which mRNA, and its roles, which is a natural thing, is its roles in the cell were discovered more than half a century ago. It took more than four decades to consider its uses as biologics for human therapeutics. Nowadays, synthetic mRNA produced in vitro in a lab by various uh, enzymatic and non-enzymatic processes is broadly used in vaccination. Well, that's interesting. This is 2017. Did you know that? I didn't know that. The first time I ever heard about, I mean, to be quite honest, the first time I heard mRNA, I believe, was probably in the beginning of COVID-19. And then mod RNA, even more specifically. But yet, apparently, it's already broadly being used in vaccinations back in 2017. How much you want to bet we're talking about animal vaccines? Things that we're not even talking about today. Uh, that's just, just a guess off the top of my head. But clearly, broadly used. Nevertheless, artificial mRNA synthesized in the lab and delivered exogenously uh, suffers many limitations that hamper its potential. And we're seeing that today. Firstly, even chemically modified uh, exogenous RNA, which we're going to talk about the chemical part of that, or at least just point at it in this next study, remains highly immunogenic due to its recognition by the toll-like receptors on the external side of the endosomes and the cell membrane. To give you the exact definition of this, amygenetic relating to or denoting substances able to produce an immune response. That's not what you want, right? You don't want this to cause an immune response. What we're talking about is the mRNA instructions to create the spike protein, which is then what creates the response, right? So the idea that mRNA itself, specifically mRNA or modified mRNA can cause an immune response is a, is a da- which I think is part of what's happening. That's actually causing symptoms, causing problems. We'll even show one where it talks about a virus-like component. In any case, it says 
Such innate immune activation induces an interferon response, which can be poorly tolerated and lead to serious adverse events. Just the modified RNA by itself. Secondly, mRNA is a fragile molecule, which is rapidly degraded in biological medium by abundant nucleuses. Nucle- uh, nucleus, how would you say that plurally? Nucleuses, we'll just say that since I don't remember. Making its uses in therapeutics difficult. Altogether, these limitations explain the difficulty in handling therapeutic mRNA, especially in cases of systemic administration for gene compensation, like what we're dealing with today. Therefore, the development of novel alternatives is required to overcome these issues. The production of synthetic mRNA in the cell itself remains a desirable goal. So remember that clip I keep sharing? or I've shared, I actually was the beginning of the show yesterday. This is a discussion and you can even see Pfizer in the video itself that Forbes was having or interviewing about in regard to what they wanted to do in your body before we ever got here. Wall Street and biotechnology companies have been very excited about this idea. And what essentially it is, is trying to hack the cells in the body in order to make them into drug factories. Okay, so... Creating this in your cells to make them into the drug-producing concept. Exactly. Now, maybe that's part of what's actually happening right now, and we don't even know that yet. But it says, that's the point. To overcome this, it says we need to, the production of these things in the cells themselves remains the goal. It would prevent the stimulation of the innate immune response. Okay, so if that's not what's happening today, which is what they would say, then how, how are you stopping the immune response from the mRNA? or mod RNA, as well as the rapid decay of mRNA in the biological medium. We just talked about this on that Reddit post, right? The whole point being that modified RNA does not break down the way they say mRNA does. But all the people that are screaming mRNA rapidly breaks down, well, they're talking about mRNA, not mod RNA. You would think these so-called experts would be able to read the documentation and know that for themselves. No, because experts today blindly trust the CDC. Experts, in quotes. All the people that challenge them are considered conspiracy theorists. Those are the, the we should be considering all of these perspectives. Now, here's 2016, one year before this. Synthetic mRNA, production, introduction into cells, and physiological consequences. Recent advances have made it possible to synthesize mRNA in vitro in a lab that is relatively stable when introduced into mammalian cells, has the diminished ability to activate the innate immune response against exogenous virus-like RNA. Diminished does not mean gone, but virus-like is interesting. So if we're talking about a response to mRNA that's like a virus, that seems to be very relevant to what we're talking about today and what people are dealing with. It says, and can be efficiently translated into protein. That's what we're talking about. Synthetic methods have also been developed to produce mRNA with unique investigational properties such as photo cross-linking, fluorescence emission. I didn't know about that. So apparently, back in 2016, they were already developing methods to produce mod RNA with investigational properties, like fluorescence emission. I just think that's ridiculous. So why wouldn't that be possible in what we're taking now? Synthetic mRNA has been proven effective in numerous applications beneficial for human health, such as immunizing patients against cancer and infectious diseases. Proven, huh? (laughs) Clearly, we're seeing that's not true. And engineering the genome by making specific alterations in DNA. 
See, before this was not, you know, shouted down as conspiracy theory, it was just a basic reality. Talking about these things and how what one of the things they can do is a big list here is engineering the genome. They were talking about modified RNA by making specific alterations in your DNA. That's the point we just pointed out before. It has a direct effect on DNA. Undeniable. Applications of synthetic mRNA. That's what they are. Those are the applications of this. One more point I thought was interesting, and then we'll talk about the actual drug or injection for cancer that they're developing. Here is uh, ResearchGate, somebody posing the question, just simply asking how to produce synthetic mRNA. Now, these people discussing, this isn't just like a chat room. These are all, you know, they have accounts and these are doctors and so on. He's simply asking how to produce it. And he says, what is the biology of an in-the-lab mRNA production from, from amplified DNA by PCR? That's interesting. Well, here's an answer from this, this guy at Synbiotechnologies. He says, well, my lab can make modified RNA from PCR template. Huh. Okay, so what does that mean then? Now, we're going to get into the cancer drug conversation here, where they literally talk about engineering individual shots for each individual person, talk about a boon, and talk how do you prove that they're dangerous if everyone's got something different? So <clears throat> on top of that, though, if you could take a PCR test and make a modified M RNA template, or rather a modified RNA based on your PCR test, I mean, maybe there's a reason that the PCR test was so prevalent in all of this, that there's something more going on here, that the, the actual mod RNA discussion can be used in the concept of a, T a PCR template. I find that to be pretty interesting. Well, let's talk about that drug specifically. Now, this is from April 16th, 2023. Updated April 17th. Who knows what they changed? We don't get to know anymore. Modern journalism. In what could be a big shift for cancer treatment, mRNA vaccine shows promise against melanoma. Promise, huh? Let's show you what they think promise looks like. Now, it says the study presented Sunday at a research conference showed that after nearly two years, patients who received a personalized modified, that's what this is, and I'll prove it to you next, but they say mRNA vaccine made by Moderna, no less, and Merck, were 44% more likely to be alive. Gotta love that. And avoid new tumors than those who received only the standard of care. 44%, that's a great number. Well, first of all, what we're talking about is 44% more likely to be alive. So right back to that dumb Rogaine analogy. And that's, that's less than a flip of the coin. So you die, well, you were on the other side of that coin. Well, you're still alive, so it worked. That's a pretty broad metric, right? But then, and avoid new tumors. So what you're going to find out here is that it has nothing to do with dealing with what you're dealing with. It has to do with giving you something that's, that claims to reduce how much it happens in the future. But if it's only 44%, well, then if it happened, oh, good, then you were the other side. It's the same game. So it doesn't stop it from happening entirely. It doesn't even stop what you're dealing with. So what does it actually do? It apparently, it reduces your immune system and hurts you. But let's follow, I'll show you the actual data. Instead of using a vaccine to try to prevent or shrink a tumor, right, because that's what everybody wants, the new mRNA or mod RNA vaccines are aimed at reducing the chances of a high-risk cancer recurring. This is the, the, the modern, the, the current stance of vaccination. Like we're going the other direction. It used to be stopping transmission. Now it's like, well, you know, you know it reduces the chance of it maybe happening next time. <laughs> wow. It says the pandemic proved, no, it didn't, that mRNA vaccines, nope, we're talking about mod, but you know, two things wrong in half the sentence, already in development for cancer. So this is where it was first. 
could be used safely and developed quickly. So now they're pointing at the illusion of the, inje- of the pandemic that killed a lot of people, that we're proving are net harms, that they proved are causing, I mean, you, you name an illness, I could probably find peer-reviewed studies finding it's linked to the injection. But reality being, you can make, point out all sorts of very serious problems that you can prove with peer-reviewed science are connected to the injections. But they're now telling you, oh, well, the pandemic proved that these things are safe and good to go. <laughs> Thanks, USA Today, for towing the line. It says, who also directs the, the uh, Abramson Cancer Center. Now it says, benefits seen in melanoma, a cancer known to be controlled by the immune system, are likely to hold up in other cancers that are affected by the immune system, he and several other experts said. Well, forgive me if I don't like your likely-to-do-anything expert said comment, but regardless, I'll show you what it says about the melanoma point, and doesn't seem very viable at all to me. But then it says, how could this cancer vaccine work? Well, it says the vaccines are designed to prevent cancer recurrences, not an initial run with the disease. So it says, after surgical removal of a tumor or a separate biopsy, which seems to conflict with what this says in the documentation, (laughs) big surprise, USA Today misrepresenting the reality, but what it's ultimately saying is that, so you have to go in for surgery anyway. So you have to deal with cancer, hope you don't die. Then they take it out, then they take a biopsy of that, and then they make this thing for you. Then they go over the process of the next year getting shots like every other day. I'm not making this. I'll show it to you. It's crazy. Shots and other treatments simultaneously. It's a two-part thing. And that's giving you, what, 44% chance of not getting high-risk cancer? And then along with all the side effects and risks that I'm going to show you that's mind-blowing, for 44%, probably way less than that, reduction of recurrence? I just think this is absolutely insane. It says they, uh, they and then they send that to a sample t- the sample of tissue and blood for genetic sequencing looking for proteins that are unique to the cancer and not present in healthy tissue. And then I guess we just assume that that will work and they don't make mistakes and that that translates properly. You know, this brand new platform style mRNA overlap technology that's being proven right now in real time to not work. And even Fauci came out and said that this wasn't exactly working. And yet now they're just standing on that to make these things for individual people. My same point before. Okay, so you make it individually different for each for each person. And then suddenly somebody dies. Well, they go, oh, well, you know, we don't know because that, that they may have died from something else. Well, you can't look at all of it as a broad sense because each one is made differently. This seems like a perfect lock on, on being able to, I mean, look, they're already being allowed to say we don't have any liability. On top of it, this seems like an impossible feat to prove this is actually hurting somebody. It says the mRNA vaccine is then designed to target 34 of the distinct proteins, 34 different proteins. Yeah, that can't go wrong at all. Getting the immune system to recognize all 34 and then hopefully kill the cells that make them without damaging healthy tissue. (laughs) Fingers crossed. Because there are so many possible neoantigens resulting from a patient's own genetics and the evolution of their tumor cells that the vaccine must be bespoke, designed specifically for each person. Welcome to the age of bespoke vaccines, guys. Researchers aren't sure or injections, excuse me, gene therapies, researchers aren't sure how many neoantigens to target or which are likely to offer the most benefit. So we cram in as many potential neo... That's actually what they just said. We don't know how many to target or which one's going to be most beneficial. How about on top of that, that would mean also which ones will be most damaging. Well, who cares about that part of the sentence? We cram in as many potential neoantigens as possible. 
and then just jam it right in the arm, just inject it right in the vein, (laughs) to quote Bill Gates. Each vaccine takes about eight weeks to manufacture and is based on tumor cells removed during surgery. So you still have to go under the knife. They start taking the drug, Pembrolizabom, or Lizumab, actually brand name is Keytruda, made by Merck, which unleashes the immune system to attack cancer. And hurt your body, based on what I'm going to show you next. Now, the way I, the reason I played the clip from Dr. Bakhti about the killer lymphocytes, you're going to see something alarming. The number of people in this study, specifically under the point we're making in the melanoma part, who, who suffered lymphocytopenia. And the idea of reduction of your... And then we just talked about that in regard to the dysregulation of your immune system, right? That's what this is doing. Now, we're just going to call it Keytruda, easier to say, but that's what this name is. Pembrolizumab, Keytruda, Keytruda, excuse me, Keytruda is given as a 30-minute infusion every three weeks for a year. So you're getting an infusion. That's one part of it. Patients receive two or three doses of the Keytruda injection, and then when their vaccine, oh, excuse me, that's the two or three doses of the infusion, And then when their injection is ready that they've tailored just for you, they get nine doses along with their next nine infusions before completing the entire thing for 44% efficacy for stopping a recurrence of something you already dealt with and ignoring all the negative. According to findings released Sunday by the researchers, but not yet (laughs) peer-reviewed, you got to love that, among 107 volunteers who received both the experimental vaccine and the treatment infusion, the cancer returned in 24 within two years. 22% of people that went through this ridiculous process of the entire year, multiple and nine, nine injections and nine, pro- 22% got cancer again anyway. Then there were 20 recurrences among the 50 people who received only the infusions. All right, so, one, so just the infusions, 40% of them got cancer again anyway. Keytruda sells for a list price of $185,000 a year. Although most people will not pay the price list, according to Merck, it's too soon to know how many companies will charge for this. Now, how much you want to bet? That, because if you charge that much, not everyone's going to take it. Most people won't. Can't afford it. So, of course, it'll be some kind of insurance program because at my point, they, they probably want the people to take this. Now, Pembro, as it's being called, already dramatically decreases recurrences. Does it, though? 40% of people who took just the Pembro got cancer again. <laughs> I mean, this is just so silly. But they're down two paragraphs later, d- dramatically decreases recurrence. But the new study showed a 44% extra benefit with the addition of the mRNA injection called mRNA4157. And we'll show you what this is. Now, that, leaving it there, I believe that was all I wanted to get into on this, this post. Oh, and don't forget, we've talked about this before, the concept of how the injections from COVID cause turbo cancers, or rather in general, just cause cancers. And that's what we're talking about with the uh, lymphocytopenia. Here, I'll grab this one, actually. Hmm. I've usually popped up there. Uh, Let's see, what was it? Swiss policy. There it is. Got it. 
We've pointed this one quite a bit. They do a good job keeping these updated. This one's, I guess this one's not since 2021. Maybe there's not more to add to it. But we've talked about this many times. Lymphocytopenia. Temporary immune suppression or immune dysregulation. 50% of people that got injections based on peer-reviewed science. Lymphocytopenia. There's a lot more to this, actually. But that's part of what we're dealing with here. So one side of it is, is this being rolled out in a way that, you know, is this going to be hidden behind what this is causing based or rather the injections causing the cancers and then giving them another business model to be able to fight the thing they cause, but also hide it behind something else that also is being caused or rather the point being is that this thing can lead to cancer itself. But the reality being that it's like the Narcan discussion. So they make something that causes all these problems and they benefit off the problem. Yeah, that's how this works. Going to the next point. Here is the breakdown from Merck of this of this Pembro Keytruda uh, infusion, which is the primary part we're talking about. And this is what they call this is what one part's discussing it as a monoclonal antibody, but it's what they're calling a PD one or a programmed death receptor. That's actually what this is called a programmed death receptor. That's crazy. So that's what they're putting in your body. And what it says here as well is for the treatment of patients with unresectable or metastatic melanoma. Okay, well, didn't they just say over here that that was something they had to cut out? Or at the very least take, you know, invasive treatment? Okay, well, what does that actually mean? Unresectable. Unresectable. Not capable of being surgically removed. Okay, so you have a tumor that you're not able to remove. And you take, you're giving something that they just told you is not able, it's not going to remove the thing you have, but yet reduce it from recurring. But if it's not being removed, it's still there. So it's not recurring, it never went away. Doesn't that seem a little stupid? Just says, it's what it says right there for treatment of patients. Okay, so if it doesn't go away, you're giving something that does nothing, apparently, other than hurt you. I think that's kind of weird. Oh, and by the way, this says approval from 2014. So the new thing is the addition of their injection, which I'll get to next. Surprise, surprise. The new thing is the mRNA platform injection. What do you know? Well, the next point is under, which is weird to me. It's under contraindictions. It says none. Which, as I understand it, is talking about, you know, the, the, Negative side effects, essentially. <clears throat> but here, I think under uh, warnings and precautions, this is where it gets really concerning to me. Immune-mediated adverse reactions. So the whole point of this is that it's fighting something that's a, or rather specifically the melanoma part of it, that's supposed to be immune system connected, right? But then you're taking a thing that's supposed to stop that from occurring, but then simultaneously causing all sorts of other immune system problems. And you could see what it lists off. Immune-mediated adverse reactions, which may be severe or fatal, can occur in any organ system or tissue, including the following. Immune-mediated pneumonia. Immune-mediated colitis. Immune-mediated hepatitis. Immune-mediated endocrinopathies. Immune-mediated nephritis with renal dysfunction. Immune-mediated... It's kind of hard to read these, but it says out of focus. Uh, dermatologic adverse reactions, and solid organ transplant rejection. 
monitor for early identification and management, evaluate liver enzymes, because there's a whole big focus on the liver part of this, thyroid function, withhold or permanently discontinue based on severity and type of reaction. And it lists these off as well. Infused related reactions, infusion related. So specifically to the pen, Pembro, whatever they're calling it. Interrupt, slow the rate of infusion or permanently discontinue based on the severity of reaction. And what they point out in this discussion is that in, one ca- in some cases, when you discontinue it, it causes its own side effects. Complication, oh, actually, this is just kind of the, cur- we'll go over it more in specific detail in these, but HSCT is a transplant discussion. Where was that? Right here, somewhere in here. I'll come back to it. Right there, stem cell transplantation. So there's all these different overlaps. So people that have gone through that Trans, that that trans the, the stem cell process apparently that can cause just be ha- just by having that done at some point in your life fatal or other serious complications can occur with people who have had that process. Now, in any case, and then this is where it gets the part I think is really interesting: temporary treatment of patients with multiple mel- uh, meloma with the PD one. This is what we're talking about the the treatment blocking antibody in combination with the. Oh, again, I'm forgetting. These are just the bullet points. We're going to go into what they can do. Embryo-fetal toxicity can cause fetal harm. Now, under adverse reactions, most common adverse reactions reported. As a single agent, fatigue, you know, these are just the general ones, first of all. Fatigue, musculoskeletal pain, rash, diarrhea, uh, pyrexia, cough. I think I looked up pyrexia. I'm curious what a lot of these things are. I looked up a lot of them. Maybe not. <laughs> we can look it up. We'll see. Erexia. Oh, oh, that's right. I did, but it was just fever. I always forget that. They have all these specific names. And then it says trouble breathing. That's interesting. This isn't something. Why would you have trouble breathing? But constipation, pain, ab- abdominal pain, nausea, hypothyroidism. That's one of the common side effects. Hypothyroidism. <laughs> I mean, come on, guys. This is... With 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 the minimal results that are being seen, now let's be here. This is early, right? This is still, but this is the result they're showing, and it's being praised by USA Today. But then it says, and it's Keytruda again is the other name. That's the brand name in combination with chemotherapy, has all sorts of side effects, right? So there's a lot of these overlapping things: vomiting, rashes, trouble breathing, peripheral neuropathy, mucosal inflammation. Then it's and it goes on like this: in combination with chemotherapy in different kinds, in combination with uh, whatever that is. I'll just these again, just these cursory points. Now let's get into this. Again, contraindictions, none. Now it says, all right, there monoclonal antibody r- belonging to the PD one, which was the program death receptor. Immune mediated adverse reactions, which may be severe or fatal, can occur in any an organ system in any organ system tissue that can affect more than one body system simultaneously. And we kind of read that in the first place, saying that these things are possible with what you're dealing with. I thought there was a percentage in there. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to remember all these. De- oh, it's down here. Well, th- then it gets, then that's right. So it goes through the specifics of each individual m- immune-mediated possibility, right? So it says one of them is immune-mediated uh, pneumonitis. So a pneumonia type of concept here. So at a time when we're dealing with a respiratory illusion, you're going to give people something that can cause immune media. And it's not that high, but it's still 3.4%. That's a lot of people. 
So people can literally get some kind of pneumonic, pneumonia, how would you say that? Pneumonatic or pneumonia-like problem because they're immune, not because of the injection giving them that, because their immune system is having a problem. And you, if you go through this fine tooth and comb, you will see a whole lot of these just casual listing of things that say, oh, well, there's, you know, 40% likelihood here. Now, I put a lot, a lot to the side because I'm going to get to the main point that I bought the lymphocytes that I think is the most important part of this. But down here, you can see simply that it says this pneumonitis led to the discontinuation of this for 5.4% of patients. Of the patients who developed this, 42% interrupted the process. 68 discontinued it entirely. I mean, okay, so how does that even make sense? Like, what's showing you is that people stopped this stuff. Now, I wonder if that even mattered. You know, like we did, just got kicked out of the study, like we saw with the COVID stuff. But here's where it gets, you know, continues to show you these different problems. Immune-mediated colitis. Hepotoxicity, the liver problems. But it says they can cause immune, that, again, the colitis. Immune-mediated hepatitis occurring in 0.7% of people that took this. Now, again, some of these are smaller, but you combine all of this. It's like the COVID analogy. How many, you know, 1% problems in a gigantic pile before this becomes obviously problematic? Keytruda in combination with uh, uh, axitinib, whatever that is, can cause hepatic toxicity with higher than expected frequencies. Can cause primary or secondary adrenal insufficiency. These are just immune-mediated problems for people that took this drug. And you can see the stats down here that it's, it's nothing to sneeze at. Keytruda can cause immune-mediated thyroid disorders. That occurred in 0.6% of people that took this. Then, then it says uh, down here, was withheld in patients, hyperthyroidism was occurring in 3.4% of patients receiving it. The incidence of new or worsening hypothyroidism was higher in 580 patients with resected uh, NSCLC occurring in 11%. Other immune-mediated adverse reactions. Now, I find it weird that they just kind of lump in other things under this category, but it says the following clinically significant immune-mediated adverse reactions occur in the incidence of less than 1%, other, uh, unless otherwise noted, in patients who received Keytruda or reported with the use of other block, uh, any, uh, the, the PD-1s. Cardiovascular myocarditis. So even if it's less than 1%, we still have another overlap with something that's increasing people's risk of heart problems while they're dealing with things that increase the risk of heart problems. But it goes on to list all of these different problems, ner nervous system, ocular problems, gastrointestinal. I, how is it possible that it basically hurts everything in your body to some small degree, or it can? I just, it's just kind of, this is mind-blowing where we are with this modern science. Infusion-related reactions, it says, can cause serious, severe or life-threatening infusion-related reactions, including hypersensitivity, anaphylaxis, which have been reported in 0.2% of the people involved. Again, these are just leading up to the main point here. I just want to include all this stuff. But here was the complications after the uh, HSCT, which again was the stem cell transplantation. And it says, fatal and other serious complications can occur in patients who received allergenic hematopoietic stem cell transportation, H, transplantation, excuse me, HSCT before or after being treated with the PD-1s, the one we're talking about. Then it says increased mortality in patients with multiple myeloma. Okay, patients with multiple myeloma resulted in increased mortality. Now, this is not the same, this is not something, this is not in the under 1% category. They're talking about people specifically who had what this is called multiple myeloma had an increase in mortality. That's not something you disregard. 
Let's see what that is. Oh, this is where the this is the program death receptor. And again, these things overlap with the immune system. Multiple myeloma says it's also known as plasma cell myeloma, and simply just myeloma is a cancer of plasma cells, a type of white blood cell that normally produces antibodies. Often, no symptoms are even noticed initially. The cause of multiple myeloma is unknown. I gotta love that how we treat things; we don't even know what's causing them or pretend to treat them. Multiple myeloma, or rather it's probably caused by something being given to people. Multiple myeloma is considered treatable, but generally incurable. In the United States, it develops in 6.5 for every 100,000 people. So you, so the point is you can have people that don't even know that they have this. 6.5 for every 100,000. And that increases your risk of mortality. Seems like a pretty ridiculous thing to take at this point. Then they say it can cause fetal harm. Now, my point on this is that it's not being, at least not right now, being recommended for pregnant women. Despite that we know the same thing happened with COVID-19, we know it's actually hurting them and their, and, and their fetuses. But the point is that they just kept saying, take it, it's safe and effective. And their own data said it wasn't. Then there's new studies showing that they didn't know it was dangerous. They did it anyway. So my point is probably only a matter of time. But if it, if it causes harm to the fetus, how does that not in some way cause harm to the person taking it? I just think that's pretty, just because it's not physically obvious immediately, it's probably also causing a problem. But it says down here that severe and fatal immune-mediated uh, adverse reactions are, are oh, that, again, that's just the talent, the main, but this was the point, clinical trial experiences. Because clinical trials are conducted under whole widely varying conditions, adverse reaction rates observed, fatal immune-mediated reactions, in the clinical trials of a drug cannot be directly compared to rates in the clinical trials of other drugs. They may not reflect the rates observed in practice. So don't look at this and go, man, that looks really bad because you don't understand. It's different. <laughs> okay, you can't compare it to... So the point is other trials have a, a bar where they go, well, you know, no more than 0.1%. But we don't want to compare that. 44% is good. And all these side effects make sense because you don't understand. But here it says other laboratory abnormalities that just so happen to occur in over 20% of patients. It's funny how that's way down here in the document. It says people receiving Keytruda were increasing their hypo or their, or their hypobuminemia 27%. That's pretty crazy. Well, let's look at that. Wherever that was, right here. Well, you'll, you're going to find a common theme with all of this. Well, it says it's a medical sign in which the level of albumin in the blood is very low. This can be due to the decreased production in the liver. Increased loss in the gastrointestinal tract or kidneys, increased use in the body, or abnormal dis, uh, distribution between the body compartments. All of these things play a factor on your health and your, and your ability to fight things off. So 27% of people who took these things had that happen. And it's building. But you can see down here the same point about the statistics and so on. There's a lot of other things. 25% of people were dealing with these things. I'm not even going into all this. The point, I, the, you should go through this because it's unreal how many of these. If you go through this, <clears throat> oh, it's right here. And you just look down, just randomly pick one of these things and look at the data. You'll find just the craziest amount of things you're seeing in here. Serious adverse reactions occurred in 16% of patients who received this. Like, how does that even add up with what they said before? Because we're talking specifically about different overlaps and different things they're treating it for. But none of this seems viable to me. But I'll probably come back to this at a future date. But here's the main point of it all. 
lymphopenia. Other, other random, we're not going to, we're going to act like it's kind of secondary. Other laboratory anomalies, abnormalities, excuse me, occurring in over 20% of patients receiving Keytruda. Anemia, 44%, but lymphopenia, 40%. Okay, so what is that? Lymphocytopenia is the condition of having an abnormally low level of lymphocytes in the blood. Lymphocytes are a white blood cell with important functions for the immune system. It's also called lymphopenia. Okay, so it's your immune system we're talking about. 40% of people that took this had lymphopenia, which means that they had abnormally low levels of lymphocytes in their blood, which is needed to fight things off. By the way, this is a common thing you see in HIV infection. Interesting note. Here is what it says on Merck Manual. Lymphocytopenia. It says all three types of lymphocytes you could talk, we could talk about. Natural killer cells, we just talked, that's what he was talking about before. All three types have important functions in the immune system. Every one of them. Mild lymphocytopenia may not even cause symptoms. And the point is that this is happening and you may not even know it. Dr- drastically reduced numbers of lymphocytes lead to repeated infections with bacteria, viruses, fungi, and parasites, and the symptoms of those infections, which vary wild, widely according to the site of infection and specific microorganism. Which is just the point, your immune system. You are hurting your immune system. 40% of people are put in that position. Now, I, can, I mean, even that itself, oops, I moved too far. There it was. Even, even the, I mean, the bottom line is your immune system is being hurt by this. But my point was, even regard to melanoma and the cancer side of this, there's also an overlap to this. Lymphocytopenia leading to lymphoma, which lymphoma, we're talking about a form of cancer of the lymph nodes. Okay, so you're taking a drug that is literally designed, yes, they're arguing focused on melanoma, but if you go through and look at the full, the full document and take the time to do so, you'll see that it, it goes through a whole lot of different treatments. Let me I'll just really quickly show you. Like right at the top, you see, they talk about classic Hodgkin's lymphoma, and, and you look through these, it's horrible. <laughs> some of these things are going, it's very dangerous. So it's weird that it seems to be work. they argue it works for some, but not for others. But... You can look in this and find there's a whole lot of research. Lymphocytopenia related to Hodgkin's disease. Lymphocytopenia is an important prognostic factor for recognizing lymphoma. Lymphopenia is a simple prognostic factor in lymphoma. So the point is that you can literally, the thing in 40% of people is being created is an obvious indicator of cancer. (laughs) So you're taking an injection to fight cancer and you're giving something that can lead to cancer or at least indicate that it's possible. But it says lymphopenia, a simple prognostic factor in lymphoma and other cancers. Why not use it more as a guide? Pretty clear. Well, here is Moderna's own website of the actual injection that's supposed to be given alongside what we just went over. Right? So we have all the very clear concerns of the infusion part of it. Well, here's the injection they want to give too. It's mRNA 4157. They call it a novel investigational messenger ribonucleic acid, and they literally, again, write mRNA. That's not true. Based personalized cancer vaccine consisting of a single synthetic mRNA. That's why I wasn't finding it at first. I'm looking for mod because that's what it's called. But no, they're calling it synthetic. And I'll prove to you that's the same thing in one second. 
But what I find interesting, so if this is a novel investigation in which you'll see them interchangeably use experimental, even in their own documentation, then let's not keep pretending all those little, you know, baby ears out there that COVID injection was not also investigational and experimental because it was. Remember all the people that pushed back against so many facts that we now know for sure today. It's very sad. But we're talking about a synthetic mRNA. So none of of this is talking about that. Not USA Today, none of the documents, none of the discussion. They're trying to keep this from view. Upon administration into the body, the algorithmically derived and RNA-encoded neoantigen sequences, apparently 37 of them, are endogenously translated into indigenous... How do you say that properly? Let's look it up. endogenously it's close endogenously translated and undergo natural cellular antigen processing and presentation a key step in adaptive immunity an algorithmically derived so a computer right this is not these are this is the same point from the beginning they never actually needed anything real and maybe they don't at all, in fact. I mean, let's understand that if they're lying about so many things like this, we need to question the core con- concepts here. But all of these different sequences translated into natural cellular processing, and that's a key step in adaptive immunity, right? Because So from every angle, these things are affecting and aiming at your immunity. And don't forget, again, when we're talking about lymphocytopenia, which is the actual discussion of what we're talking about being caused, also caused lymphopenia, is in itself, in and of itself, a dysregulation of the immune system. Pretty silly. They're hurting your immune system with this stuff. No, wait, where were we? Here. Okay. Oh, wait, I, think, I don't think I went all the way here. Oh, this was just the last one. Keytruda was discontinued for adverse reactions in 20% of patients. 20% discontinued done then it says that you know three percent got this pneumonia concept acute kidney injury two percent i mean just think about just two percent right there two percent at two percent of everyone taking this thing that works less than half of the time is going to get acute kidney injury according to the study adverse reactions leading to interruption of the drug which are, i guess argues that they ended up going back to it occurred in 53 percent of patients sure sounds like it's working well Neutropia, which I think I want. I looked up. Let me see. Yeah, right here. Again, you'll again you'll see the overlap. Oh, let me read that first. Actually, so it says that neutropia. It says that the most common adverse reactions are laboratory abnormalities leading to interruption. One of the most common was thirteen percent of people neutropenia. So that's on top of the lymphocytopenia conversation of forty percent. And what they're telling you. What I'm going to tell you is that that is an abnormally low number of neutrophils, files, a type of white blood cell that just so happens to play a key role in the body's defense against germs and foreign substances. So why are, you, why are they seemingly giving you something that continues in multiple angles to hurt your immune system? Then it goes on to literally include thrombocytopenia, 5%. So the people that interrupted this or stopped it, 5% of them had like blood clot level stuff or problems in like, that's a big deal. 5%. Now, again, add all of this up and you're beginning to see a bigger picture. Pneumonia itself, 4%. Respiratory tract infection, 2%. 
Bet that gets called COVID. Upper respiratory tract. Okay, so going forward back on this, here is a study from 2022 about synthetic mRNA. So this is making sure you guys can see that the conversation is about modified RNA, and they're just playing it kind of fast and loose with the terms they use. Emerging new class of drug for tissue regeneration. It says non-immunogenetic mRNA can be generated by the use of modified nucleosides. Now, that's the whole point about, right? You don't want the mRNA to be immunogenetic. You don't want it to cause an immune response. That's what they're shooting for, but I think that's what's happening, though. It says modification, or that's not what's happening. They're shooting for it to not be immunogenetic, and I think that is what's happening. Modification of the mRNA structure allows the synthesis of stable, non-immunogenetic in vitro transcribed mRNA. Modified RNA. Modification of these natural structures that we're creating, the synthesis of them, creates what they say is non-immunogenetic in the lab transcribed mRNA. Now, down here, you'll find a whole lot of conversation just showing you clearly all of the links they use and all of the source material is this is the first original report on the use of modified nucleosides during the IVT to obtain modified mRNA. That's what it is that we're talking about. Expression of therapeutic proteins after delivery of chemically modified mRNA in mice. So not only are they still sprinting in the direction of the mod, the mRNA, mod RNA platform direction, but seemingly there's multiple versions of it. It doesn't even matter how much it's hurting people. Modified mRNA, modified mRNA, modified RNA. Same point. Messenger, modified messenger RNA. Right? See, everyone, it's all the same thing. That's just, they're just seemingly fast and loose with, you know, how it's being described. This one says the mod RNAs in collagen scaffold synergistically drive bone repair through, you know, just, it's all these different studies, but they're citing it all in this one. Synthetic modified mRNA. So that is what we're dealing with. Now, why is it so important to them to not make that clear? Probably because we can prove this is a problem. Modified RNA has a direct effect on the DNA. Now, what's interesting, I showed you this in the last show, 2020, the whole point of this article was saying, well, we know modified RNA is distinct from messenger RNA, which is simply comprises instructions for building proteins. Where Basically, the point is that, you know, the, the mod RNA has the effect on your DNA. And it's very different. But what they say here, I can remember where this was. Yeah, it says messenger RNA, the basis for two prominent COVID vaccines, does not affect DNA. You see, this is a high-level platform that just took at face value the lie. The lie that we just very clearly proved to you is not the case. It's not mRNA. This, I mean, this article went out of its way to be like, these are distinct and different. This one's dangerous, and, or rather just affects your DNA, whereas the injection ones don't. But they were wrong because it is modified RNA, and so it does affect your DNA in the injections you're taking, if you were stupid enough to take them. Oh, and this was one, I, I just I, these were all over the place. Neutropenia is the other one I was looking at. People with neutropenia, which is what it was listed in, I think it was 13%, have an unusually low number of cells called neutrophils. I, we did look at that, actually. Same point. I just think I brought it up twice. Now, here is the Merck page for this injection investigational. It says December 13th, 2022, mRNA41757, I think V1 is the, the Merck side of it, in combination with Keytruda. So an infusion nine times every three weeks a year, and then you get nine injections over the year. A statistically significant and clinically meaningful reduction in the risk of disease recurrence or death. Compared to Keytruda monotherapy in stage. Oh, so how they're playing this game is they go, well, when we add the injection that comes along with its own dangerous side effects, 
of all of the stuff we all know, the modified, all the same things we're talking about with the COVID injection side of this, maybe minus the specific spike protein related stuff, is the same thing. The same risks and the same conversation. So it's all there. And what they're telling you is, well, when we jam these two things together, what we see is statistically significant and clinical meaningful reduction. Well, that's in comparison to an already failing concept in that they're the less than 50% idea of the infusion or even less than actually. Remember, the number was even less when it came down to just the Keytruda. So it's as always lying with statistics. Because when you really look at it, there's nothing statistically significant about less than 50%. That's not how this game is played. Down here it says mRNA-4157 is a novel investigational messenger ribonucleic acid, mRNA, not true, based personalized cancer vaccine consisting of a single synthetic mRNA. So the fact that they keep using mRNA in this, they know that's dishonest. They're not stupid. Coding for up to 34, up to 34 neoantigens that is designed to produce based on the unique mutational signature of the DNA sequence of the patient's tumor. Man. So, again, personalized injections that you can't compare to each other. Who knows? And, of course, what the argument would be is, well, it's something different. Even though, really, I bet you the problems will come ubiquitously from what these things are, regardless of the neoantigens. That'll probably just add another layer of problems based on their, un, you know, their genetic sequence non-isolation concept here, pumping out new sequences and new things being printed in the lab. This is concerning as hell to me that this is still like I keep saying they are standing on the the sinking house like this is a this is there in a uh, you know what's the best analogy house of cards the point is that the idea of all of what just happened with the COVID nineteen injections is is collapsed they're literally standing on ashes and acting like they're triumphantly pushing into the future of medicine based on the success that was COVID nineteen that's the reality of what they're saying they don't even care. Now, coronavirus plushie made a good point in this, that if, if, why in the world would people take that at face value? Why would you listen to what they're saying without criticism or without critique and questioning when we know for a fact that they were all parroting what they were told to the point to where they blatantly, in this case, lied, or rather, I argue she probably didn't thought she was telling the truth. I mean, who knows that it doesn't go to breast milk because the CDC said, or because what we think we know, but the reality is it does. And we know that as a matter of fact today the vaccine while you're breastfeeding does your baby get any of the vaccine no so the studies show that um none of the mrna comes through in the breast milk yeah the studies that we now know were lied we lied they were lied we were lied to the phase three study of their own research is the exact opposite of what they told us and we have countless peer-reviewed studies that can prove that it does translate to the breast milk that the mrna itself could potentially shed that the actual spike protein very clearly does shed and can cause disease according to high level science from the salk institute and numerous others but yet she's going to tell you this because cdc said the mra breaks down so fast that nope that's the other point right because she said mrna well yeah mrna would break down fast but not modified rna because it doesn't and that's the main point they even made that argument in the previous study from before covid right that that the whole point is that it does not break down and that's exactly why we're finding it in every organ in the autopsies that people like arna burkhardt are doing this is the so if we know that they can be this wrong on high level discussions where they come out with from the ministry of health and say blatant disinformation why are we trusting anything that comes out next 
um, there's no way it would make it there. Um, but those antibodies linger. Um, so it's really big. And, and here, and the funniest part is they don't, is they rapidly decline. So the, everything she said was false. The antibodies, I mean. Beneficial to, to baby for having breast milk after the vaccine. You have a so she just literally said that it's beneficial to children. Because the antibodies translate, but apparently nothing else. But it's just, it's just painful how even they knew at some level, if they were allowing themselves to think, that none of this really added up. So that means that the dumbest of them who didn't know it was wrong leaned into it and got praised as the experts. Think about that. Fifth of the lactation cases reporting adverse events. So a fifth of the 215 lactation cases reported, uh, again, you have these infants being indirectly exposed to the vaccine via the breast milk. Um, You have over 40 listed adverse events. There's like a table. Again, this is a screenshot. It's in my report. These adverse events include facial paralysis, lymphadenopathy, and blurred vision. For the kids, for the infants. Oh, my God. Wow. Any comment, Helen, on that? The, the vaccine doesn't go into the breast milk in the first place. and But if, if you think that through, even if it did, um, it's unlikely to, um, to be a problem. Why would you laugh about that? Anyway, mm. um, but it doesn't. No safety concerns. She's wrong. She's very, very wrong. Or she's a bad person and lying about it. But something tells me she's just wrong and doesn't care to think past it. But it's real funny, though. Even if it did. Well, yeah, even if it did, it wouldn't be okay, right? I mean, just think about how the, the she's already decided that, well, even if I'm wrong about that, it doesn't matter anyway, because, you know, everything's safe and effective. Vaccines are great no matter what. That's the kind of mindset behind this people. Sonia Elijah was who you saw talking right there before that, who we interviewed recently about the, as the title reads, willful fraud. Did Pfizer and BioNTech collude to falsify vaccine data? Yes, they did. Very clearly. Crazy. Well, last two points I'm going to make. Here's where we are today. So take everything we just talked about with the rapid escalation in the direction of all of this. Nature.com just put out this in May 2nd. Remarkable AI tool designs mRNA vaccines that are more potent and stable. And I also just saw one about something pumping out mRNA injections like 34 an hour. It's ridiculous numbers. So we're allowing artificial intelligence, which I guess we're assuming is actually artificial intelligence or actually, you know, not just being directly led by the people that want you to think what, you know, we saw the conversation of like Eric Schmidt discussing that AI at some point is going to get to the the level where we have to just listen to what it says. And, you know, it may seem immoral, but they know better. That's paraphrasing, but actually his argument. So, that, whoa, whoa, we can't question the mRNA vaccine. The AI said so. That's where they're driving this. But AI, so we're, now we're jumping past it, allowing artificial intelligence to push forward in something that they've barely even fleshed out and very clearly is not safe and effective. Mind-blowing. And then last point that I just wanted to include, actually, which is where I actually first saw this article, is a newer discussion from April 23rd, updated April 25th, because, you know, they just change things constantly. don't tell you what they are. Title is Beyond IVF. Scientists debate ethics of human reproduction without egg and sperm. Orwell shared this with me. We were talking about this, about, you know, guess they don't need us anymore. Oh, man. Oh, that's right. I do have the, the good new... see if it works (laughs) yeah that's right that's the new thing i use so i love it it works way better before we finish up here turn it off because it slows it down okay back to the point 
Come on. There we go. Scientists are getting closer to the possibility of making a new person from skin or blood cells without the need for sex. Now, we think of the weird overlap here, right? Think of the very weird overlap of discussing using people's DNA, their skin, their blood cells to make new people or the possibility while they're literally dealing in this realm right now in wide scale without any repercussions or barriers. Maybe this is what, at least partly, it's all, you know, I, I always say that, but I, I don't think that. I think this is just another direction of the eugenics kind of technocracy direction of circumventing humanity. But overall, that's very concerning, isn't it? There's a lot of overlap to this. Called in in vitro game to Genesis, game to Genesis, <laughs> the names they use, it promises to someday provide a cure which is what they always go with, to many types of infertility, to slow, the even, to slow or even turn off biological clocks, and to enable the kind of embryo selection that sends chills up many spines. And this is where they give you the pretend lip service to go, well, we care, critics say. Well, they don't care about that. They love to let you think they do, but they're already going forward regardless of what critics say. But what's interesting to me, is it really about a cure for infertility? Do they even care about that? They're literally talking about not needing to reproduce anymore. So why would infertility even matter? It's like the brain machine interface will solve cancer, will let me prosthetic farms. And yeah, that's not what it's about. My opinion, of course, but I think there's plenty to go on that shows you it's about something far more nefarious. <clears throat> In a three day meeting last week at the National Academics of Sciences, Academy, excuse me, of Sciences, researchers early, early, eagerly discussed their work. Advocates laid out their vision for making IVG useful, and ethicists, ethicists squirmed in their seats. It's almost like ethics is like a dirty word today. Oh, those stupid ethics getting in our way. A search for a perfect race, perfect baby, perfect generation is not science fiction. I mean, it's, it's funny. That's from a university of Cape Town, South Africa. It's almost, I mean, think about how uh, the perfect race. Isn't that something like if anybody else in any other context said that, it would be freaked out about around, I mean, in a way it is. It's very weird, like a racist concept that you're going to perfect the race. Like it, that, that's, like a, that's like a eugenics Nazi style thing and exactly the point. But don't worry, we're going to cure, cure infertility and other things we want you to think. But meanwhile, we're literally creating a perfect race with eugenics. This is the mindset to this stuff. Now, you may, they may not even see it that way, but at the end of the day, you are playing God and you are manipulating things for a, I mean, there's no way I believe this is for your best interest. It says still remains a decade away or more. I don't, I don't believe that. The idea with this stuff is usually something they float like this and it's probably already halfway done or being used already. I don't know for sure, but that's historically how this goes. But now, before the science turns possibility into reality, it is a good time for the public to consider the implications. This is their fake dialogue where we go, well, we need to discuss this. You know, that was, we care about privacy. Meanwhile, we're going to roll out the anti-privacy bill. It says, quote, there's certainly a lot of publications and a lot of interest in the scientific community. And it's great that we're introducing this to the larger community. Cohen said after first days of presentations, he said, quote, if people have serious ethical concerns, this is the time to spell them out. Does it matter? Do you think they care what you think? You know, where you can, like, how about an island where they go, hey, everybody tell us what you think. And then 70, 70, 80% of people said, we don't want this. And then they did it anyway and forced it on them. Because <laughs> democracy, right? We see that all the time. I remember that happening a long time ago in California when I lived there, where Senator Pan, the maniac that he is, was pushing this injection bill. And, I mean, it was thousands of parents lined up 
there was a video that showed it in rapid succession. Just thousands and thousands came in and said, no, we don't want this. We never want this. And then there was maybe like 50 people that came in to support. Guess what happened? Immediately passed. Because it wasn't about what you thought. They wanted you to feel like you were involved and they did what he did anyway. That's how this always works, guys. So hopefully people can see through this before we get to the next step. Because these are all steps. All of this is driving in the direction of the eugenics technocratic technocratic future i mean it's it's very clear now people may push back on those terms like it's conspiracy theory but these are public discussions technocracy is a is a concept to people behind the scenes they, they've written books about this right these are not fake concepts and we we are watching this build out so question this stuff guys Hopefully people can spread this in front of others that need to see it. But the reality is that we are, we are, I mean, we are in a very positive state coming out of a very negative state, if that even makes sense, right? Because it's not like we're in a good way right now. It's obviously very dangerous and everything is going in rapid direction, in rapid, it's rapidly progressing in ways that seem insurmountable. But at the same time, we are, I think, driving that. Like the fact that they are so afraid that we are seeing through it is one of the reasons why it's becoming so clumsy and getting driven so quickly. That's my opinion. But I think we're proving that in a lot of different ways with the injection and, you know, the way that I keep saying that we right now as the independent media are very clearly setting the conversation. That's why you're seeing this almost meltdown in the media, the shakeup and the changes and all, because you are out there guiding this conversation. They can't stand that. So all they need is some big event and some new circumvent, some new QAnon, Russiagate and the whole thing, and everyone falls back into place. Well, hopefully not this time. Hopefully we see it. Well, I'll keep fighting for you. Keep fighting for us. I love you all. As always, question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Well, so you believe that the COVID vaccine is not necessary? I think it's downright dangerous. And I warn you, If you go along these lines, you are going to go to your doom.